I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks to all of you telling 10,000 friends and family members about the new show, which has been doing great. Top 100 on Apple Podcasts, top 200 now on the Spotify charts and rising, which is pretty remarkable considering uh, Spotify is run by a bunch of far left-wing individuals and uh, somehow we've cracked in the top 200 and that's clearly thanks to all of you supporting me and supporting the show and I couldn't be more grateful. Um, I know I promised you guys a newsletter at alexmarlow.com if you subscribe. I, I had an administrative snafu so that did not go out but we will get those out to you on a regular basis at least weekly if not more uh, once I get this thing uh, worked out. So just go over there. You can also uh, follow me all across the social web where I I'll be posting additional content, a lot of it related to the show. And, uh, of course, I recommend the full show on SiriusXM and the SXM app for the full three-hour broadcast, including all of our terrific callers. Uh, today, we got a good show lined up for you. We will get into a ton of news from immigration to the Build Back Better bills um, to, to some of the green hysteria and Al Gore's plan to surveil people who are egregious emitters of pollutants into the atmosphere. We'll get into all that, plus our interview with Frances Martell, who is our unofficial New Jersey correspondent. She's also our world editor at Breitbart News, which is her day job. Um, but she also is very knowledgeable about New Jersey as a enthusiastic New Jersey resident. So we'll get into the China coronavirus outbreak with her, as well as the true story of what's really going on in New Jersey and some of the unexpected election results from earlier in the week. And there's a lot of lessons to be gleaned from that conversation, which I know you're going to want to hear. And as always, our caller of the day. Without further delay, let's get right into it. Here it is, the opening. Let's get into the news, and there is a ton. It's hard to know exactly where to begin. Uh, I guess I will warn about the vaccine mandate to sort of overwhelm the news yesterday with the Biden administration saying that there's going to be inspections, $136,532 fines to enforce the coronavirus vaccine mandates, and these have been delayed all the way into January um, employees face a standard penalty of $14,000 per violation that's going to be levied against the employers, I believe. Yes, yeah. So that is, it's 14000 per employee, but the employer is on the hook, which is smart. That's a better way to enforce it because that means that, that means that as I had predicted at the very start of the vaccine rollout is that the Biden administration, the government would tap the corporations to be the main enforcers and remember it only applies to companies over 100 people so um, the bigger corporations have largely already rolled over uh, but they are seeing some struggles and I'm seeing a lot of people who are uh, and, and culturally I will tell you that this is a lot of small margin businesses are going to have a tough time here because they're going to continue to lose employees and I think they're going to lose at least some level of business for people Many of you are probably in this camp in the audience who don't believe in the mandates and don't want to patronize businesses that have the mandates. And uh, this is a big topic of conversation. I know that um, uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe, who got the jab and got it pretty early and uh, as a, a healthcare provider, thought that was the right move for her. And someone who spends a lot of time in hospitals, she thought that the, the, the that was the best move for her. Um, you know, she was she was even talking to me about how she was kind of upset that some of the businesses that she patronizes are doing the vax mandates and stuff. So it's the the mandates are entirely different of you who are new to the show than the vaccine itself. We spent many hours on the show breaking down the efficacy of the vaccines and the patterns and the data that to me, I've come to the conclusion the vaccines are largely pretty great. The mandates are, are repulsive because uh, the and the biggest tell is that there is as far as we can tell. There is uh, no distinction made for people who've already had the virus and of natural immunity that is likely far stronger than the vaccine itself. And this is in none of the legislation. It's a, it's a, they said basically if you, uh, you get to pay for your own coronavirus test once a week. So you have to endure the test and pay for it once a week, even though as far as we know, the amount of people who have got reinfection is minuscule. So if you're a young, healthy person who's had the virus, there is no scientific reason that we know of that you must get this vaccine. Yet, we are told you must do it because Joe Biden says so and the corporations are enforcing it on his behalf. And so the fines are coming down and they're coming down. It's still obviously Biden thinks this is a winning issue for him overall. And I don't think it's coincidental this came down in a horrible news week for him where we spent the last three days talking about how the build back better agenda is not going anywhere at the moment and that Democrats keep losing 
across the country. So we roll this out, and um, and and this is where it is. And obviously, it's very animating to the Breitbart audience. A lot of comments coming in on this, and uh, it's a lot of pushback, which I was very heartened to see on a legal basis as well. A lot of states are standing up to it and just saying we're not going to enforce it, uh, or we're going to sue to try to stop it. And I I think that's the attitude that we all need. Um, South Carolina Governor McMaster is going to bar vaccine enforcement. The Tennessee Attorney General sued over uh, mandates for contractors. Um, We had an exclusive with Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, who is going to bar agencies from who has a, a, um, I'm sorry, is going to use the Congressional Review Act to try to nullify it. Um, other GOP centers have a plan to defund the federal vaccine mandate because and, and Ron DeSantis says that state-run vaccine sites for children will not be welcome in his state. But in the meantime, as I mentioned, I think yesterday towards the end of the show, you got children 5 to 11 are going to be forced to provide proof of vaccination in San Francisco. So this is the thing. is It's become a political flashpoint, which is largely due to the messaging team that's been put together by the Democrats and by Joe Biden, um, headed up by Dr. Fauci, who we refer to at Breitbart News as Dr. Frankenstein, because he contributed to the funding of the Wuhan Virology Lab, which almost certainly created or enhanced the coronavirus that created the pandemic. And then he does experiments on beagles where their heads are eaten alive by you know sandworms, whatever it was. In uh, psychological torture on monkeys. So he's funded all that stuff. So he's a, a Dr. Frankenstein-like figure, and yet he is vaunted. Uh, he is almost um, exalted in certain circles, particularly that sort of Excella corridor in the mid-Atlantic of our country. Uh, Rand Paul again had another Senate hearing with him, and uh, it is just always so sweet when that happens. And we have some clips of it. I don't know if I can play them all, but I will play some of them starting right now. Mr. Paul 3A, do it. Gain of function is a very nebulous term. We have spent, not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain of function from the NIH website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time, but let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality and that you do experiments to enhance that, hence the word E-P-P-P, enhanced pathogens of potemic, potemic, potential So when EcoHealth pandemic. Alliance took the virus, no, well, SHC-014, and combined it with WIV-1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature, and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework and guidelines... So what you're doing P3, is defining away gain-of-function. No. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you're you're <laughs> completely trying to escape the idea that we should do something about trying laugh. to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's The preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed <laughs> so the good. website right. to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky... We're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. Oh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Dr. Paul, of course, is an actual medical doctor, eye surgeon. Um, and he has been owning Fauci this whole time. Um, any new listeners should know that uh, my take on this, it is, it is more than skeptical 
that the Biden administration and whatever the task force that be that are in charge of the messaging on the vaccine continue to put out people who are so incredible. The type of people who could not sell a bucket to a Trump support, a bucket of water to a Trump supporter who's on fire. And these are the only people who sell the vaccines. And uh, I think Fauci needs to go away. I think he needs to be investigated. And, uh, you know, I would love to see him stand trial, to be honest with you, um, because this is clearly, clearly not all of this can be legal. This, this type of lying that he's done from start to finish um, that has manipulated the public in such an unbelievable way. And it is still he is forced upon us. So good for Rand Paul for dunking on him some more. Appreciate that very much when he does that. Um, yeah, but uh, he, Biden, again, considering weighing, expanding the vaccine mandates to companies with 99 employees or fewer, he's trying to change the narrative to something he thinks is going to be good for him. And I don't know if it will or not, but that is all afoot. And uh, it, it was delayed, the implementation to January. But again, the implementation is coming much more from the corporate world and from the culture, I think, than it is going to come from the government, though the government, of course, is a factor. Um, all right. So other things that are out there in the news, and there's, again, again, quite a bit, we're keeping an eye on the Biden agenda with his uh, budget bill and reconciliation bill. And th- we got these uh, analysis because Biden keeps insisting it's all for it's all paid for, which is amazing, because I guess that these bills that are supposed to be 1.75 trillion or 3 trillion or whatever numbers there are, there's multiple bills with multiple um, numbers attached to them, to, to them, uh, that those are all paid for exactly, which is awesome because, well, well why can't we just make money if we're going to pay for it all? Why can't we just somehow figure out a way to turn it into a, a net profit? Um, but a Wharton School of Finance uh, if University of Pennsylvania said that the Build Back Better will actually not be free. It's going to cost uh, $2.4 trillion net, which was pretty much anyone that it is at all uh, credible on uh, in the media, even remotely trying to suggest that what Biden is trying to do is uh, might not be honest, um, jumped on this one pretty quick. But the price tag that Joe Biden keeps claiming is zero. Uh, actually, it might end up being north of like $5 trillion and is going to cost us $2.4 trillion. And then the effortlessness in which he lies is just so unbelievable. I played a clip yesterday in the top of the show that I was laughing about the whole day where he drew the conclusion that the major losses that took place for Democrats in Virginia weren't because of uh, unnecessary lockdowns. They weren't because of critical race theory. They weren't because that parents were called and portrayed as domestic terrorists. Um, They weren't because that everyone who disagrees with the Democrats was called racist. Uh, It wasn't because the rape of a Virginia girl was uh, covered up because it was politically uh, uh, devastating to the trans agenda and to the teachers unions agenda. It wasn't because of all those things. It was because Build Back Better hadn't passed yet because we need to get stuff done. Come on, man. Get stuff done. Pass Build Back Better, which doesn't cost anything we pay for it all and then we get a soft swirl with jimmies on it some people call it sprinkles i call it jimmies you can eat it with a cup but sometimes i get the cone in the spoon and i'll have the spoon i'll eat out of the cone with the spoon the swirl soft swirl delicious easy on your teeth i mean that's his that's the way he approaches the trillions of dollars of spending and it, it was just, it, I couldn't believe the effortlessness of the lying that takes place. It does make you, not to say that I'm not already very cynical about America's politics at this point, um, but that makes you even more uh, cynical. Also, by the way, the Joint Committee on Taxation suggested that uh, this will be a tax hike. It's probably going to be a tax hike of about $1.5 trillion, which doesn't surprise anyone who, doesn't, uh, who does not think the Democrats are trustworthy on spending. So how could we do all this stuff and have not raised taxes, including still there is discussion of whether or not we're going to continue to pay uh, or we're going to engage in this policy where we're paying $450,000 each as a benefit for families or alleged families per person, mind you, that were crossing the border legally and got separated for uh, for a time. Remember, the separation policy was not remotely what the media told us what it was. A lot of it was to keep children safe from people who were potentially in demographics that could have made their lives uh, less safe. 
a lot of it was a safety measure. And I'm not saying that the conditions in a lot of these facilities were perfect, but they were good enough for the people to risk their life and limb, go through a massive cartel apparatus to get here on their own volition and break our laws. So those who tried to enforce our laws at a basic level were considered monsters. Trump was, you know, the worst guy who ever walked the planet, all that stuff. And now we're paying a benefit that exceeds the death benefit for military families. If one of our American citizens or non-citizens, but American citizens typically uh, go overseas and fight for a country and dies, that benefit is less than what these legal aliens who are separated for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, whatever it is from a family member to keep that family member safe, mind you. So Biden announced that that plan is not real. Um, Let's play. We've got that clip. One A, Mr. Paul, play this one. About the way forward, Mr. President. As you were leaving for your overseas trip, there were reports that were surfacing that your administration is planning to pay illegal immigrants who are separated from their families at the border up to $450,000 each, possibly a million dollars per family. Do you think that that might incentivize more people to come over illegally? If you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah, but it's not true. So this is a garbage report? Yeah. Okay. So $450,000. Per person, is that what you're saying? That was separated from a family member at the border under under the last administration. That's not going to happen. Yeah, this he's he says it's not going to happen. It's garbage, and which I took as great news. So this is from a couple of days ago. I mentioned it on the show as is a good development. But then the ACLU came out. The ACLU made a statement saying that we respectfully remind President Biden that he called these actions criminal in a debate, and that pre- in with President Trump and campaign and remedying and rectifying the lawlessness of the Trump administration, we call on President Biden to right the wrongs of this national tragedy, including continuing these benefits. Then, lo and behold, it appears as though the policy might be back on after all, despite Biden saying that it's garbage. So here is an exchange with a lady named Corrine Jean-Pierre, Deputy Press Secretary, uh, with Peter Ducey of Fox at the press briefing. Of course, Corrine Jean-Pierre does not mention that she's married to a vice president, of the vice president of news gathering at CNN, a woman named Suzanne Malvo, which is so unbelievable. I wrote about this in my book, uh, Breaking the News, New York Times bestseller from earlier this year. Uh, but just another one of those details that you come across, you, you have to do the uh, old-timey cartoon thing where you rub your eyes and make the squinty face. What? She's married to the vice president of news gathering at CNN. She's the White House press secretary and no one cares. Well, let's see what she has to say. 2A, go ahead. President Biden is calling these reports about the administration paying up to $450,000 to illegal immigrants who are separated from family members. Garbage. He says it's not going to happen. But the ACLU says that it is. So who is right? Are you talking about the question you asked him yesterday? Yes. So um, if it saves taxpayer dollars and puts uh, the disastrous history of the previous administration and family separation behind us, the president is perfectly comfortable with the Department of Justice settling with the individuals and families who are currently in litigation with the U.S. government. You know, DOJ can obviously speak more to that process. The president was, what he was reacting to uh, was the dollar figure that was mentioned, that you mentioned to him yesterday. Uh, as press accounts to date indicate, there's been press accounts on this, DOJ made clear to the plaintiffs that the reported figures are higher than anywhere that a settlement can land. Again, this is a this is something that the Department of Justice can, can speak to. I, I do not have anything more to add but, to this. But if it's not, if he's not okay, with $450,000, how much money is he okay giving these? This is something, again, Peter, this is something that the Department of Justice is going to handle. I just laid out what he was thinking and how this is the process was moving forward. I, the, the DOJ will talk to the specifics. Of- All right, so I have a hard time keeping up with where she's going with that, but I'll tell you one thing that is certainly not a we're not paying illegal aliens who cross the border illegally some sort of reparations. So we're flip flopping again. So we're back on. It's back on. It's back on. The left got to him. The left got to him. And if you don't think that they're going to continue to try to cram amnesties into every omnibus bill they ever put in uh, and to continue to do whatever they can try to overhaul the immigration system to lessen what it means to be an American citizen, uh, then you're not paying attention right now. We had an unbelievable spread of illegal immigration stories at Breitbart News yesterday, but none more frightening than an illegal alien freed into the U.S. by Biden after lying about his identity 
charged with murdering father of four. Amy Furr and John Binder wrote this up for us at Breitbart. An illegal alien charged with murdering a 46-year-old man in Jacksonville, Florida, was released in the United States by President Biden after lying about his identity. This is the point I make. When people come up from south of the border, they're not bringing two forms of photo ID and a FICO score. These people are trying to evade the law. I'm not saying they're all horrible people. I'm not saying that some of them, small percentage at least, won't make some contribution. I'm not, even going, I'm not going that far. I'm just going when you have a system where you don't really know who's coming in and who's not coming in, then you get the type of people who are inclined to conceal who they are. So this is, I think, a pretty clear example of that. Yeri Noel Medina Uloa, a 24-year-old illegal alien from Honduras, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the death of Francisco Javier Cuellar, father of four children. Prosecutors are seeking a first-degree murder indictment. Eyewitnesses on January, on, I'm sorry, October the 6th called the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office after they saw Uloa walking down a road covered in blood. When police arrived, they set up a perimeter and quickly found Uloa before retracing his steps to a residence. Uh, Cuellar was found in the living room dead when they got to the residence. Is this something that should be acceptable in our country? It should never happen. If we know who's coming in and out of our country, this doesn't it doesn't happen at all. So illegal alien released by Biden killed someone. It sounds like Cuellar, that's not a white name. That might be a Latinx name. So we're actually seeing a Latino individual actually get killed by an illegal alien here. Uh, why isn't there outrage around that? Because we know if Uloa was a white guy, we would hear about it, but we don't because he's an illegal alien who got let out by, by Biden. So it's only Breitbart that reports on this stuff. It's dark, but it's true. If he was a white police officer, we would be, be nonstop discussion of this. But it's an illegal alien who got let out by Biden. Thus, you must go to Breitbart if you want to uh, keep up on some of this stuff. Not cool. All right. Uh, I will mention the John Durham news, which was pretty, pretty interesting. Longtime listeners know that uh, I, I constantly make fun of the Durham report not coming out. But Durham indicted an alleged steel source named Danchenko, Igor Danchenko. That's a name from the past, who also worked at the Brookings Institute along with Clinton uh, alumni. And Joel Pollock's got a pretty brilliant summary of this. We got out the front page at Breitbart, um, or we will have it later, which is basically the, Dur uh, the special counsel, John Durham, um, has found a Russian collusion with Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton world. So that's the take there. And um, the, 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 that, is, that, is a, that is a good thing. We've also got... Uh, PR Executive One in Durham indictment documents is a guy named Charles Dolan Jr. If you want to hear the story of him, um, he is, uh, uh, the, the, you can also read that at the front page of Breitbart too. So uh, hopefully there's more to come on the Durham thing. I'm still hopeful. I mean, I know that a lot of, it's been a funny theme on the show over the years because I've always made fun of where's Durham. Well, he's doing something. So hopefully more good stuff to come though. I, I will continue to not hold my breath. Uh, I'll mention a couple quick uh, culture stuff because stuff is so popular. Most popular story yesterday, Breitbart, the a, a fresh Prince actress named Janet Hubert Wonders, who played Aunt Viv, or is it Aunt Viv? Are you supposed to pronounce it Aunt? Um, suggested that Trumpers gave Alec Baldwin the loaded gun because of his SNL impersonation that killed um, Helena Hutchins. So that's a Alec Baldwin who had an irresponsible set where people didn't want to work on the set and he pointed a loaded gun uh, at someone and fired it, killed, killed them and shot another person. And the, you know whose fault it is? The Trumpers. The Trumpers did it. In the meantime, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, one of the toughest and coolest guys who's ever lived, is going to stop using real firearms on projects produced by his company following the Alec Baldwin movie set. Are, are, are they going to use fake guns or are they going to use walkie-talkies? Didn't they have a thing where they remastered some of the Star Wars and like put walkie-talkies back in? Or is that a South Park joke? Sometimes I confuse South Park jokes with reality. It's a blind spot, I got to admit. Um, but this is it. His seven bucks productions won't be using real guns. Of course, at Breitbart, which we always do, we did a big collage of The Rock firing 
huge guns and him having tough but cool faces while he's fighting these while he's firing these big guns. But now all of a sudden overnight, Alec Baldwin shoots someone to death, and his conclusion is um, the, this exception to the rule that by large people don't get you know shot dead on Hollywood sets that uh, we need to wildly overreact. It's cutting edge. That's bold. It's almost brave. Um, last item for the top, and then we'll take your calls, 866-95-PATRIOT. A couple of climate stuff. The COP26 delegates were served meat and dairy, despite the UN calling for reduced intake. Uh, remember, these are the same people who do genuinely want you to eat bugs. Um, just look at what happened with all the cicadas stuff over the uh, cicada season earlier this summer. They genuinely want you to eat bugs. They kept giving us all these recipes for how to eat cicadas. And then uh, they're served at the COP26. People fly in private jets and they eat meat and dairy. And what we've been told is the beef industry, that's the number one polluter, number one uh, emitter. So cheeseburgers for you, steaks for you. No thanks, but you guys get the bugs, but you get meat if you're at the climate summit. Um, A unbelievable thing that Al Gore said on MSNBC was the lead story Breitbart yesterday and also was... A viral sensation. Al Gore is touting technology tracking identities of greenhouse gas emitters so that people can take action. And who can take action? Uh, It's actually not just governments. It is the social justice crowd. It is the conscientious objectors. It is the companies. So he is suggesting that people who are irresponsible for uh, and uh, with their emissions are going to be tracked with 11,000 ground-based, air-based, and sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and artificial intelligence using 300 satellites. And he's been very open that the whole point of this is for investors and governments and civil society activists to hold the emitters accountable. So the spying on the people who are climate heretics and eventually the destruction of their livelihoods and businesses... Uh, it is coming, and we know it will not be applied consistently. It will be applied to the people first who are politically problematic, as is always the case. So, And the technology you know is out there to do it. China's basically got it. So I found this to be particularly frightening and worth mentioning on the show because I did not see it mentioned elsewhere other than, other than by Al Gore himself, who was touting it. He's acting like this is such a great thing. We've got all this AI and satellites going to track the emitters so that we can take action. And not just governments, but investors and civil society activists. What does that mean, take action? Holding people responsible. But he will track the identities of the greenhouse gas emitters. All right, next up is Frances Martel. She is our guest for today. And one of the things that I mentioned on Monday's show, the first show, that you are going to get to be introduced to my team at Breitbart News that makes me look good, but really informs the public of a lot of the stories the establishment media ignore. And Frances Martel is a, a perfect example of that super high intelligence and high productivity individual who is always ahead of the curve when it comes to international news. And also you get the benefit of hearing her take as a resident of New Jersey on all the interesting stuff that went down there on Tuesday's election and some uh, where the real credit and blame should go. So uh, her take is always interesting and always backed up by the facts because she's a a voracious consumer of media and news and information. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, She is a a pretty amazing person. It makes me look really good every day at Breitbart News and is a fan favorite for the SiriusXM Breitbart. Bart News Daily audience, and you're not going to want to miss this, so let's roll it. I want to talk to you about your thoughts, what you observed from the really wild races that took place there uh, this week. So why don't we start? Well, I'll just give you the floor. You're 30,000 foot on uh, New Jersey. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much, um, because I'm really passionate about talking about New Jersey. I could go on all day. Um, But the big takeaway here, I want people 
to realize is New Jersey is a purple state. There are a lot of conservatives. There are a lot of liberals. There are a lot of progressives. Um, it's a place where we like arguing with each other, and it's really ideologically diverse. But when it comes to actual political infrastructure, um, by which I mean political machines, um, political parties that organize campaigns and spending on campaigns, um, the Democrats completely dominate. They've dominated for 150 years, and the Republican Party has never challenged them in any serious way, especially in the cities. Um, and so when you see that there's all these Democrats in state positions uh, as governor, as senator, um, what you're seeing is that the Democrats are organized structurally to fund and promote campaigns that work, and the Republicans don't bother trying. Um, the big difference between Tuesday and traditionally how it's gone is that Jack Shitterelli actually tried. Um, he spent a lot of time in Newark. He spent a lot of time in Hudson County, where I'm from, which is a notoriously corrupt Democratic stronghold. Um, and he was there, and he was talking to people. Um, and Phil Murphy was not. Um, Phil Murphy was uh, hanging out with celebrities. You know, he brought in Bernie Sanders. Um, he was running a campaign that had no connection to the people of New Jersey. And I think you can see what you're seeing in the results is, one, um, Jack Shitterelli actually tried, and two, the New Jersey Republican Party is a disaster. They did not su support him sufficiently. They did not... Uh, bother to uh, really push hard in, in areas where people are sick of having, you know, 150, 200 years of Democrats, um, and there's a strong popular desire for an alternative. If you give them an alternative, they will vote for it. Um, I know because I voted for it. So um, I really hope that message resonates with both the national GOP and um, state GOPs in blue states that might think they don't have a chance. They absolutely oh, have a chance if they yeah. bother. And you've tempted me to skip ahead, but this is the, the where I really want to take the conversation, which is what's interesting here is the and again, we're in hot take mode, but there's, I think, some important analysis to be done. Is this a failure of the Republican Party because they got so close, they had a chance, they had a very vulnerable Democrat who was particularly bad. And I want you to explain exactly how bad Phil Murphy is. Um, uh, so is this something that it's a compliment that they got this close or is it a failure that they should have been able to squeeze out the last one or two percentage points with better organization. Uh, I mean, I, I got to say, this was even a sleeper race at Breitbart, and we're as honed in on this as anyone. So it just shows you the national GOP uh, clearly did not make this race, a, a did not give it the attention it deserved. What was the state GOP like? Do they deserve any credit here? Break it all down for us. The state GOP deserves no credit, in my opinion. Um, wow. I think what happened is that Shitterelli himself understood that he had to do work, that New Jerseyans reward hard work. And that's why they reward the Democrats, by the way. You have the leaders of the local political machines. People think they're fat cats just, like, sitting there and, and making money. No, they do, you know, the mayors and the, and the state senators, they are constantly working around the clock. You can, If you have a problem, you can call them, and they will use the government to help you. You. Um, the Republicans don't understand that that's how it is. I think Shitterelli did understand, and he personally put in the work, but the state GOP did very little. Um, it, it organized, you know, the same tired events in the same red areas of the state, um, and it was really, you know, the candidate himself who did the work. Um, so, okay, I, so, I so this is so, 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 so big, because we've always talked about this my whole uh, adult life, that Republicans need to, you know, go and mingle with the people who they're so disconnected from in bluer areas. Um, but those are, there really are vulnerable voters there. We need to go get them. And then you just think of, you know, efforts by the, the Paul Ryans of the world that were just so pathetic and got us nowhere. Uh, what did Chitterelli do that was different? And uh, what are the lessons that we can learn from his approach? Well, he very heavily saturated all media. I mean, every five minutes there was a new ad. 
um, but where he was talking directly. And the ads were very good because it was just him sitting in his living room probably um, and, and just quoting Phil Murphy and being like, you know, for example, Phil Murphy said, if taxes are your issue, New Jersey is not your state, which is insane because, number one, Phil Murphy isn't even from here. He's from Massachusetts. Number two, how are you going to tell people who disagree with you to just leave, especially people who are born and raised here, unlike you? Um, so Shitarelli used that quote constantly. Um, and he was just sitting there and he would go, you know, who says that? Like, that was the entire ad, which is him saying, quoting Murphy and saying, who says that? And it was very personal. Um, and the other thing is he did this in person. Again, I mean, I, I live in Hudson County. I saw him, you know, he was on Bergen Line where nobody speaks English, you know, at a Hispanic parade talking to people. Um, so that made a difference. And, and especially in a place where you have, you know, this is a very heavily Cuban populated area. There were huge protests in Cuba in July, um, and we saw thousands of people organize in Hudson County against communism. These are not progressives, and uh, Shitarelli understood that and talked to them. Um, and, and that's something that I think that's a big lesson that the GOP has to learn. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Phil Murphy and why he was so vulnerable, because a lot of it was the coronavirus policy. Uh, that he had, which was just as bad as, as um, Andrew Cuomo's in a lot of ways. But it, also his personality is so off-putting. Is someone who has to deal with it on a more regular basis than I do. Uh, talk to us about about him. So he is uh, he's a Massachusetts progressive who worked for Goldman Sachs, and he's very wealthy. And Obama appointed him, I believe, ambassador to Germany at some point. That's how he began his political career. And he decided he wanted to be the governor. He wanted to be, you know, in charge of a fiefdom. And he chose us, unfortunately. Um, and the way he governed was like he saw us as, you know, the serfs on his land. Uh, he regularly called us knuckleheads. And, you know, it, it's New Jersey. Knucklehead is a very mild insult. It's not that we care. It's the fact that he tried to, he saw Chris Christie and he took the worst of Chris Christie and he did a poor imitation of it, which is just to berate people, you know, <laughs> incessantly. Um, and the other thing is the actual tyranny of his policies. Um, you know, he shut down the state and, and he's been very aggressive pushing vaccines in a way that is extremely disrespectful. He shut down businesses and, and hurt them very, very much. Um, and, and he did all this while, you know, it wasn't the fake sort of caring tone of, I really, you know, I care about the people and I don't want them to be hurt by coronavirus. It was, you're a moron if, if you disagree that, that shutting down every business in the state is bad. Um, and, and that attitude is just so, you know, and it's a misinterpretation of the New Jersey attitude. Yes, Jersey people are tough. Yes, they will, you know, they'll elevate their voice at you. But it's always with a reason. You know, if, if you're friendly and you get along with people, Jersey people are the nicest people in the world. And he misinterpreted that and just berated us for four years um, and took away our rights. So it's um, and, and never mind the nursing homes. <laughs> I could go into the nursing homes forever. He was much worse than Cuomo enforcing um, nursing homes to take in coronavirus patients. So he also killed a lot of people's grandparents and parents. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's it's a pretty bad situation here and i really hope no one uh no one judges new jersey based on phil murphy because he was running against uh chris christie's lieutenant governor when he won and we were so sick of christie that it was really just you know people ticked off whatever name had nothing to do with christie and, and that's <laughs> how we ended up here yeah it's uh and christie still managed to reinvent himself and he's still a part of our lives for some reason uh francis martell is with me she, she's our world editor but she's also our unofficial New Jersey bureau chief, and she's got an amazing piece up at Breitbart.com. New Jersey race proves Republicans engaging deep blue areas works. So what is the resistance to Republicans trying to engage these deep blue areas? It's just so much more. Um, it just this is exactly what we want in our leadership, but it seems to at least be making a lot of progress. I mean, I, but I'm still probably like you, not confident we will take the correct lessons from this. 
Well, I think the resistance is that it's very hard work. Um, Democrats have put in, in places like Hudson and, and Essex counties, like I said, 150, 200 years. This is like Tammany Hall era political machines that are still here because people work. Um, I, I talk about the mayor of Union City all the time, Brian Stack, because the guy doesn't sleep. He gives everybody his cell phone number, and if you need a job, he's there. This is, you know, 1800s kind of Irish-Italian in New York politics, and I think Republicans are very spooked about trying to challenge that because that's what the establishment is, and it takes hard work. And so the um, lazy avenue out is to say, well, people in New Jersey don't understand freedom, so we're not going to, you know, we're not going to campaign there. We're going to give a bunch of money to Ben Sass in Nebraska and, you know, and, and put in our effort there because it's much lower effort. Um, so I think it's just we have to change Great the mentality power. and by the way, that mm-hmm. was a great, a great Ben Sass reference. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, my problems with Ben Sass aside, I don't think he's the kind of person that is in a district where he needs to fight hard. Um, no. And Jack Shirelli is slash was. No. Um, so I think this aversion to hard work, um, this laziness is the big thing we have to overcome. And the deference for these democratic political machines. The machines are still there because people who run the machines, the bosses, they work really hard. Um, Steve Sweeney, for example, the Senate president, he did not work very hard. He did not respect his constituents, and he got knocked out by a truck driver. Um, That's not going to happen. This is arguably the story of the day. Obviously, I mean, the the Yunkin story is so big, and the Chitterelli story is so big, and the defund the police agenda getting blown out is so big, but it, it is, it's hard to beat the story of this man, Mr. Durr, the truck driver, taking out the state Senate president in New Jersey. Um, uh, tell us all everything we need to know about this one. Yeah. Um, so I think the big thing that's missing from this story is Steve Sweeney it was extremely powerful as Senate president, was there a very long time, but he was years, widely right? hated. Um, he was not close to the people the way that some of the other party bosses in the north of the state are. Um, progressives hate him. I mean, if, you, if you look at progressive Twitter, it was so happy about this conservative truck driver winning an election. Um, it was very absurd. Um, so he had no constituency. He had no cult of personality. Nobody likes this guy. Um, he was there because of laziness and fear, because no one ran against him because they thought, you know, well, he's the Senate president. Why bother? Um, Ed Durr bothered, and he won with very little money and very few resources. It seems like zero national or state-level Republican support. Um, and, and the lesson to take away there is that, um, you know, hard work pays off. And, and in New Jersey, we reward hard work. Um, and, and that's, a, again, uh, that's, I keep saying the same thing, but it's the most, single most important thing, that the hard work is rewarded. Uh, again, Francis Martel is with me. Francis, let's talk a little bit about um, any sort of challenges that you're seeing. Uh, do you think it's all done? Do you think that uh, because uh, we're told at Breitbart there's a lot of Republican lawyers who are going to be looking to make sure everything is, is above board. Um, but likewise, you can bet the Democrats are going to try to do what they can to figure out a way to take out um, Durr because that is, is just such a humiliation that when the dust settles on that, it's not going to look good for them. Um, do you feel concerned about that at all or do you feel pretty confident? I'm not concerned about Durr because, again, nobody likes Steve Sweeney. None of the Democratic political machines are going to fight back. They're they're probably relieved that they have an excuse to get rid of him. So I, I don't and, – and remember, Sweeney worked with Christie a lot. So, so the Democrats don't like him. Um, so I think uh, Mr. Durr is, is very secure. I think the situation with Murphy and Shirelli is completely different. Um, we saw a lot of questionable things um, happening with the votes in, in the gubernatorial race. For example, in my county, they counted a bunch of votes twice, which gave Murphy 8,000 votes he didn't have. Um, in Essex County, some of the machines in Newark were shut down mysteriously. Um, we're going to get to the bottom of that. I really hope it doesn't get into, you know, kooky land like it did in 2020 with, with Trump. Um, but I see very legitimate reasons to investigate some of the stuff that's happening here. And again, these are regions that are notorious for, <laughs> for corruption and voter fraud. So um, it's, it's worth the investigation. Let's talk a little bit about some world news here, Francis, and a story you've been on for weeks, and finally the establishment media feels compelled to cover it, which is that China is having a huge uh, coronavirus surge at the moment. Of course, we don't know the exact context and the exact depth of it because they have a 
press that is entirely a propaganda arm of the regime. Uh, but tell me about how bad you think it might be and what this means and how and, and especially in the context of the media and then if the American media is forced to cover it, it must be pretty bad. Uh, give me everything we need to know. So um, this started in early October uh, because a tour group from Shanghai went across the country um, during the uh, celebration of the anniversary of the Communist Party. Um, it's important to note that China encourages people to travel. Um, they call it red tourism. They encourage people to go to historic sites to worship Mao Zedong, basically. Um, and this tour group did that. And now we are up to, I believe, 1920 provinces of China's 30 provinces are having coronavirus emergency protocols implemented because of the, the number of cases. Um, if you look at the raw number of cases, it looks extremely low. You know, it's like 80 cases nationwide a day, something like that. Um, that is because the Communist Party determines what cases are counted and which are not. Um, they don't count asymptomatic cases, uh, and they, they're open about that. So the, the numbers are much bigger than I think we think. Um, the other thing to know here is that the Chinese government claims that the origin of this, pen, of this outbreak is uh, shipments from abroad. So products that were imported and then the surface of those products had coronavirus on it and that's how this started. There's no evidence for that. Um, and if you read, the, there's studies in Nature magazine and, and the CDC says this is not a main way in which coronavirus uh, is is transmissible. You you get it by other people breathing on you, by air droplets. You don't get it by touching something that may have had coronavirus on it. Um, and so this is uh, a big lie that China's pushing because they're trying to argue, remember, they say that this didn't originate in China. They think that, or rather they're arguing that um, it originated in a U.S. Army lab, that it was some sort of bioweapon in, in Maryland, and that it, it came to Wuhan through through Maryland and somehow skipped the entire United States on the way across the Pacific. Um, so, so to further that argument, they're saying that this outbreak uh, started in Mongolia on some sort of product that was shipped into the country. Um, so all of that, I think, is important to follow. Um, the, the other big thing I'd mention is the Olympics are in February. Beijing is one of the places, one of the biggest hotspots. So it's that's a problem. Um, they're, they already they claimed victory against coronavirus in March 2020, and now they have to figure out a way to not make the Olympics a super spreader event. It's, it's a big deal. So how are they going to do that? And first of all, why are we even going to these Olympics anyway? Because not only is China so horrible to our country and our biggest adversary and unleashed pandemic on us and is openly racist and uh, does it, does everything you could possibly do to delegitimize themselves, we're going to legit, legitimize them with an Olympics. And now it's not safe because we got the coronavirus everywhere. And needless to say, this is going to get spread around the world uh, if this happens. So it's a, are people taking crazy pills here or is the allegiance to China of the globalists just so much that we all have to act like this is no big deal? Um, definitely the latter. Um, the IOC, which runs the Olympics, has essentially said we're, we're not political, so we can't weigh in on the fact that China's committing a genocide right now. Um, and, and the Biden administration, by the way, has formally declared what China is doing a genocide. Anthony Blinken used the word genocide same way Mike Pompeo did. So they are basically acknowledging that they are going to endorse genocide if they go. Um, and, and the reason for that is simply that China is very economically powerful. Uh, my, my hope is that in a generation that's going to change because China's birth rate is so catastrophic that they can't maintain that economic power. Um, but unfortunately, we know the atrocities they're willing to commit to stay in power. Um, and, and, you know, we don't know how they're going to start making people have kids, but I'm sure they'll come up with some creative, grotesque ways to do it. Um, and again, if you support the Olympics, you endorse that. So it's, it's a really horrible situation. Um, I got to ask about the story about how China, China province is proposing a nearly a year of paid maternity leave um, due to their birth rate collapse. I mean, we know that Pete Buttigieg is really excited about it. But is, <laughs> is there anything else that we need to know about this one? Because this one really caught my eye. 
Yeah, um, my my hot take on this is that Chinese millennials are essentially going to save the world because they are very anti-communist. Um, they obviously can't speak out about it. So what they've done is lose all of their ambition. They don't want to have kids. They don't want to have high-paying jobs. They don't. They're not working. Um, the phenomenon is called lying flat in Chinese, um, which essentially means you sit there and you do nothing because anything you do helps the regime. Um, so that's what is behind this birth rate collapse, that and the one-child policy. For decades, it was illegal to have more than one kid. That spooked Chinese people out of wanting to have families. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, 10 years ago, they, the Chinese government starts saying, hey, you know, have you guys considered a second child? Um, now it's up to three. You could have up to three legal children, and no one's having them. The birth rate actually fell after the Chinese government um, loosened up restrictions on how many kids you can have. So it's pretty severe problem um, and again, uh, our generation is responsible for it. <laughs> Francis Martel, world editor for Breitbart News. She covers a wide breadth of topics. Uh, China, she's one of the leading reporters, I think, in the world on this. And she and her partner in crime, John Hayward, has some amazing stories on China calling America the laughing stock of democracy. That's up for you, Breitbart.com. China, 20 years in the World Trade Organization, another international disgrace that we didn't have time to get to today. Uh, but that's why we got Breitbart.com. You can go over there and check out the rest. Thanks, Francis. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Be right back. Okay, as always, we like to take a caller of the day from our vast audience of callers. Of course, we take many calls on the full show every day on Breitbart News Daily, 6 a.m., Eastern on Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel. But on the show, we like to highlight one. And today it is Jason in Michigan who had a brilliant point that I wish I'd thought of myself, uh, which is that if you are getting axed from your job because you did not get the jab, then that means you're not going to be able to get mortgages because you're not going to be seen as someone who is trustworthy in terms of getting extended lines of credit, et cetera. And so the fallouts from the uh, vax mandates, which are truly appalling, even if you like the vaccines in general, as I do, uh, is the fallout is going to be more widespread than we'd even thought. And Jason makes a important point. Let's hear it. I'm a, a mortgage loan officer in Metro Detroit, and I actually had a nurse two weeks ago that was actually fired a week before her closing. You know, $91 an hour traveling nurse, um, great job, minority, um, didn't have the job, didn't get the jab and um, was not able to close on a beautiful new house. She was out the home inspection fee, the appraisal, um, actively looking for a new job now in Tennessee, Florida, that kind of thing. But And it's not just a one-off. I've got a lot of pre-approved buyers that are out looking for homes, and you check in with them every week, and it's, hey, i got to put buying a house on hold for a minute till I get resettled. So I just kind of wanted to mention the impacts of the multiple firings in the healthcare industry. And, you know, you see it in law enforcement and things like that. But I think it's an important point. Well, so walk me through this, Jason. So you're saying that people are losing homes because they're not vaccinated. Who is pre- who is preventing them from getting it? What is the process? Well, they lose their job before they close. They're under a purchase agreement. And one of the last things you need before they close on their new house is to be fully employed still. We do a verification of employment. And they actually lose their job because of the jab so they're not able to close on their new house oh wow what a, what a great an point existing home it's they're buying a new house and now they right can't because close. you're not a good person to lend to if you just got fired or you don't have a job or it's the longer you're in a line of work of course that's better for your credit and for getting loans extended to you a brilliant jason wow so is there is anyone pointing this out because it's the first i've even thought of that and you know i talk to sophisticated people in these topics It's definitely impacting our industry. I've been a loan officer for over 25 years, and I'm really seeing it on the pre-approved buyer side. And I'm actually seeing more people leave, you know, blue states and going to red states, such as Florida, because they have the opportunity to, you know, work in what I call free America. This is why the mandates are so bad. They only get worse. I got American that I'll do for today. Thanks so much to Paul D'Amelio and Greg Eben, our producers, and to all of you who subscribe to the Breitbart 
app and who give a five-star rating to this podcast. And most importantly, spread the word about Breitbart News, what we're doing in the new show, the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Hope you all have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you Monday. Yeah.